Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. And welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello! Coming up on today's show, the influencer who accidentally uploaded a video of her abusing her dog, the New York Times article telling brides to shred for their wedding that has made us feel utterly perplexed, and why TV robots... And why TV... (laughs) Are we going to tell the listeners that you just always said TV robots? (laughs) TV Root. <laughs> oh my goodness. And why TV reboots are all the rage right now. But first, Michelle, how was your oh my week? God. It's even better now. Thanks for asking. I had a great <laughs> week. I um I just realized that all day we've been wearing practically the same outfit, which is the case of shameless media right now. Well, I was wearing the puffer jacket you're wearing at the moment, just in a different colour. We're both wearing black leggings and we're both wearing runners. Darling, I think you might be colorblind. These are blue leggings. Oh, hun, sorry. <laughs> we constantly look like we're twinning now. And every time we go to a meeting or we see a mutual friend, they comment on the fact that we are always coordinating our outfits accidentally. It's also very true. People are. I think it's because we just know what's going on that day. So we dress for the day. And we always, sometimes I'll shoot you a text and be like, is this an active wear day? And every time you say no, I'm like, damn it (laughs) how was your week though it was great speaking of active wear I'm actually getting into running for the first time in my life and by getting into running I mean I went for two runs this week I ran (laughs) literally getting into running means just breaking out of a walk for me um I actually really enjoyed it I have hated running with a passion I used to play netball quite competitively but ever since then anything above a quick stride is sweat inducing for me so to go for a run was a whole new experience I felt like I was gonna die while I was on it but then afterwards I felt amazing you always do feel like you're gonna die and we're running Connor's run in about a month and I did promise myself I'd be training far more than I am I'm probably not gonna finish it well we became ambassadors of the run probably what was it maybe May yeah so we signed on in May and I was like great I've got like four months to train for this not even marathon it's a fun run it's 9.6 kilometers (laughs) I was like 
I need every day of this next four months. And then I proceeded to procrastinate until now and it's August and I've literally got one month left and I'm planning to cram all the running in. Can I go running every day? Is that a thing? Will I be able to run 10 kilometres by the end of this month? I think so. If you run every day, I'm not going to be able to. And my mum said that she was going to ban us. Mum is running it too. And she said she would ban us from stopping. No, Trish. Just so annoying. She's also one of those smug running people. She's so good. Regardless, the weather has been demonic all weekend. And I bet Trish went out for a run every single day. I bet she did. It's sickening. Did you read or watch anything or listen to anything that was good this week? Sorry, Zara's mum, before we move on. Uh, I loved the celebrity profile of Taylor Swift in Vogue. It was the September issue, of course. It was written by Abby Aguirre. I'm going to butcher that name, but Abby, great piece, great last name as well. Did you read it? I haven't read it yet. You will love it. It's literally saved on my um, phone as the next thing that I'm going to read when we finish work. I'm surprised that she did a profile. I know. Taylor, I mean. It was very pro-Taylor. I love the alliteration in the headline. It was titled Taylor Swift on Sexism, Scrutiny and Standing Up for Herself. Mm, And what did you like about it? I really liked how it looked at Taylor Swift's career across the last decade or so. And I also think it made a really poignant analysis of the standard that we expect from female musicians because I believe that we expect a certain standard from not just female musicians but really any female in the public eye, businesswomen included, that they need to be philanthropic at the same time as being successful. And I think that is something that we have all expect from Taylor Swift when we haven't necessarily expected that from male musicians. I'm interested that she's happy to talk about sexism and scrutiny when people seem to consider her as a victim or someone that tends to paint herself as a victim and that's people's main core frustration with Taylor Swift. So it's interesting to me that she wants to own that and that's clearly the choice that she's made. She's probably weighed up every single outcome from this story and thought this is the most positive thing she can do for her own publicity. I mean, obviously, like I said, I haven't read it so I can't make comment on whether it was successful or not. We're about to jump on a plane to Sydney so I'd love for you to read it on the plane. I will. And let me know your thoughts afterwards. How was your week? My week was pretty good. I have um, a great tip bit from my week. Are you going to tell everyone about the dress? I'm going to tell everybody about the dress. So I know on our money podcast, she's on the money that we produce. We introduced a segment at the very start when we were scripting the the show, which was money win or money confession. This is my money win for the week. And it is the most absurd money win of all time. This is the best money win I've heard in my entire life. How's that some hyperbole for you listeners? Apparently I say hyperbolic in every episode. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. We're done at five minutes in. Drink. (laughs) That's what people keep saying, Michelle. So I bought uh, a dress for a weekend a couple of weekends ago I didn't like it so I bought another one and when I went to return the first dress I realized when I picked up the return form that I couldn't actually apply for a refund because I'd applied a 10% discount not even a huge discount a 10% discount Mm. and I could only apply for an exchange or a credit note god credit notes are the worst so I looked at it and I texted you and I thought I have made a big mistake this has suddenly become an incredibly expensive weekend so I picked up the sheet of paper and where there was two options with little square boxes next to them that said credit note exchange (laughs) I just drew my own that said refund had a giggle to myself, sent it back, and the money landed back in my account this week. I can't believe that you didn't take a photo of that. I know. It would have been the best content ever. That would have been – as social media manager for Shameless Media, I am appalled Shh. that you did not turn this into content for me to use. Shock horror that I just lived my life without thinking of needing to <laughs> capture it the whole time. Anyway, so if you ever think you can't get a refund, I would just suggest – sorry, retailers out there – try the little box trick. 
I'm pretty sure they legally have to give you a refund. So if you're ballsy enough, they'll probably give it to I'm you. I'm sure it gave someone a smile too. Good and work, I'm all about Sarah. giving people smiles. <laughs> you live to serve. <laughs> I serve the people. Recommendation. Give me one. Um, oh. I actually recommended something in the newsletter this week that sounds remarkably dry. That's cheating, but okay. What? I'm pretty sure you just run on a rotating schedule where you recommend something in the podcast and then double up on it in the newsletter and okay. then it's just a vicious cycle. In fairness, if I double recommend, then the point was really happy at home so this better be good (laughs) it is good but it's embarrassing because you're gonna say it's shit you say all my recommendations are shit (laughs) i'm not bullying her for anyone who's concerned victim mentality going on here taylor swift over here (laughs) so i listened to an episode of conversations with richard feidler with adele ferguson adele ferguson is one of the country's best known journalists she was one of the ones to originally break corruption in the banking industry and it really did snowball the entire banking royal commission for many years now i have very much struggled to get a hand on the Banking Royal Commission. Sorry, my eyes are just closing and I'm just drifting off to sleep as you talk. You literally did just close your eyes. I actually feel so tired ever since you opened your mouth about this. The thing is, I've never really understood it. I understood certain details, but you know when it's... The Banking Royal Commission. But you know when a story seems to have passed you by and it seems too complicated that you can't get a handle on and it's too late to catch up? Mm -hmm. This took me and anyone else who listens to it from sort of woe to go on how it all happened and how it all unfolded. And I did find it interesting. So if you do want to get a Cross it. Please, someone take on board my recommendations. If you guys are struggling to get to sleep tonight, you guys know what to put on. Hey, don't be so mean to Richard Feidler. He does have a very lovely voice, though, far more calming than ours. Richard Feidler's a national treasure. We all know it. A national podcasting treasure. Who else is a national podcasting treasure? Michelle Andrews. Oh, yes, of course. No, Hamish and Andy would be next. You literally should have said Zara next. <laughs> You're definitely not a national treasure. You're too sassy. Oh, this is true. The people don't like sarcasm. And you hate me. (laughs) And I also hate you too. Can we actually get into the show though? Of course. We are starting today with one of the more grim stories from the week. In case you missed it, Brooke Houts. Again, Zara, pronunciation of last name. Do we think it's Houts? H-O-U-T-S? I think H-O-U-T-S is Houts. Okay. Brooke Houts is a 20-year-old... (laughs) Brooke House is a 20 year old YouTuber and influencer from Los Angeles and she accidentally and I'll put quotes around that because we're not quite sure if it was an accident I think it was she claims it to be an accident yeah she accidentally uploaded an unedited video to her YouTube channel and in the unedited version it showed her spitting on and hitting her pet dog her dog is a Doberman so she quickly removed this from her channel because obviously her 300,000 subscribers on YouTube weren't a huge fan of the animal abuse that she was perpetrating but it was picked up and shared very widely on Twitter where it currently has over 10 million views. What was your take on this story? It's pretty horrifying to watch this kind of footage and it does make you think anytime I see something like this that was accidentally uploaded almost like a freak accidental upload how much other stuff was going on behind the scenes if this was the thing we managed to catch. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing that I thought and we said almost straight away is there's something spectacularly almost uniting about footage like this in that it's almost like there are two things in the world we all agree shouldn't be touched and should be protected at all costs and it's babies and dogs. And I know I have come on the record and say I am dog adjacent in the past, (laughs) but that's it. I'm dog adjacent. I just don't necessarily yearn for a pet, but I want them to be protected. Absolutely. And the backlash to this was monumental. So there were thousands and thousands of tweets. It trended here in Australia, despite Brooke being from LA. And no one really having heard of her. No, not at all. She's quite a small YouTuber, quite a small influencer as well. I think she only has about 20,000 followers on Instagram. So she's not big by any stretch of the 
the imagination. But there were tweets coming out from PETA, from animal rights groups. The local police got involved and had to issue a statement. It was really interesting to me how forceful this backlash was. Not because I don't think it's warranted, but I agree with you. I think there is something in the universality of pets and dogs on the internet right now. And I think this is the one topic, dogs are the one topic on the internet that transcend all the barriers that typically divide us. No one really disagrees on dogs. Dogs are so universal and they are so popular and I hate myself for researching this. But I I think it really does come back to the fact that dogs are such a cultural trend right now and they do have so much cultural sway with the average person. I think they're just so universally loved. And while I always think that they've been universally loved, I think you're right. I hate this sentence, but I also think that we are definitely in a dog moment. No, we are. For sure. I think Instagram has certainly helped that because dogs have sort of taken on lives of their own where they have personalities and Instagram accounts and they're so much more than a tiny animal that roams your house. A study published in the journal Society and Animals found that people are more empathetic towards dogs than fellow humans, which I found very interesting. In an experiment, they got 240 students. Not a huge study pool by any stretch, but still an interesting one. They were presented with fake newspaper clippings of a police report either about an attack on a person or on a dog and empathy levels for the puppy older dog and baby human were on similar levels while the adult person came last isn't that fascinating i was reading a lot about how dogs have overtaken from cats do you remember that there was a whole viral movement of like cat memes and cat videos in the early 2000s and then around 2010 well dogs actually overtook cats in 2011 according to all this research done by the outline the most followed pet accounts on instagram are dog accounts posts about dogs have tripled in the last decade on reddit articles and tweets about dogs are on the rise while all of this other content about other pets is on the decline it is such an unusual shift that we've all taken and i love it because i'm a huge 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 dog lover same but i also shut up i also think my love for my dog may have been enhanced by the internet's love for dogs in that you're constantly reinforced that dogs are the best things ever. And it's just this massive movement that you're ascribing, as you said, a personality to your dog, a, a almost like human life form to your dog. It's a little bit of confirmation bias too. Like you did love your dog to start with mm. and then you hear everybody else and how much they love their dog and you think, yes, I was right all along. I'm not crazy. I'm so, it's so <laughs> worth being invested in this thing. The other thing is you're then more likely to, I don't know, take photos of that dog, take videos of that dog, mm. upload them and kind of track the experience of that dog which therefore makes you more interested in the dog because you're like following them at any moment which is you with your dog you've uploaded more of peanut in the last sort of three months than you have in your entire life totally and I think it sounds really frivolous and maybe a little bit juvenile but there are also been studies that have linked posting pets and posting dogs in line with political changes in line with political unrest and political uncertainty and I think there is something there that in moments of distress and anger and hurt and upset we do turn to these really wholesome beautiful parts of life and dogs are that as much as your dog adjacent you probably agree well yeah they're very apolitical by definition (laughs) I did want to bring it back though to Brooke Hartz because I think with all of this in mind I, I don't think it's to say that this story has gone unnecessarily viral because I think it's really important that stuff like this goes viral and people are held to account. I just think it's interesting to look at why a story like this has blown up in the way that it has, given she doesn't have as big a profile as a lot of other people on the internet. The other thing that I said to you in the wake of this story breaking is it's very interesting to me in 2019 what can break a career and what can't, Mm. because it almost feels like not much can break a 
a career in 2019. And for me, one of the most interesting parts about this story was when popular YouTubers, including Logan Paul, <laughs> called Old the situation mate from the suicide forest exactly last week. called the situation deplorable and disturbing. Paul, in particular, referred to the clip as remarkably grotesque. Mm. So, someone like Logan Paul, who is taking videos of dead bodies and uploading them, still have a career so much that they are able to critique other people's public fuck ups. That, to me, is very telling about what cracks and ruins a career in 2019. Totally, and I think animal cruelty is one of the only things that could spell the end of an internet career. The I other agree. thing being child abuse. We let people come back from racism, from sexism, from literally every ism out there. But when it comes to animal cruelty particularly against the internet's most treasured animal we just see it as downright unacceptable and i'm not saying that's not the way it should be i absolutely think that we should come back on people like brooke houts and we should condemn this behavior i just think it's interesting that we reserve a certain level of anger and hatred for this kind of behavior when we don't afford that to other human beings thank you next bitch And now it's time for the quick and dirty. You guys know how this works. Every week we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle. Zara, what's your middle name? McDonald. What what is my middle name? Eliza. Elise. Ellis. My mum's maiden name. E-double-L-I-S. Sorry. Are you kidding, Michelle? (laughs) Oh dear. We've done this on the podcast before. We I'm abs- certain. I reckon there'd be listeners as well who would know you. Who would name. already know. Michelle, can you leave it with me? Before it was my Facebook surname for Michelle a long Elizabeth. Time. Yes, good girl. Kim Kardashian and Ellen DeGeneres. Oh, wow. We're just- <laughs> Sorry. Your first story, please. I was rolling right in. <laughs> Kim Kardashian and Ellen DeGeneres amongst celebrities with most fake Instagram followers. That is from Hype Beast. This was a really interesting one. Hype Beast was reporting on stats out of ICMP. Don't ask me what that is. They haven't even gone to the detail of explaining who the hell I see MP. They haven't even extrapolated from that acronym. I love it when someone gives an acronym. It's just like, just trust me. <laughs> Literally, they haven't said once in this thing. In the first line, it says accounts examined by ICMP for fake followers. Who is that and what do they do? I'm, I'm live Googling. We will literally never know. Oh, here we go. No, we will know because I've just Googled <laughs> in real time. ICMP is Internet Control Message Protocol. Look, have I done that thing where I just... <laughs> grabbed a random acronym that doesn't relate it's the protocol of the internet no it's a supporting protocol in the internet protocol suite oh my god what does this mean i don't know can someone reach out to eric brain from hype beast and ask him what the hell he's talking about stupid i think so tell me the story okay so basically icmp whatever the fuck that is (laughs) the protocol (laughs) examined the accounts of the biggest celebrities and figured out what percentage of each following was fake or bots. Now, I don't think they're actually accusing any of these celebrities of buying fake followers. I think it's a thing, very technical term. The bigger your audience gets, the more bots you might have follow you just by virtue of having a massive following. Yeah, I I honestly feel like you're a magnet to bots. I do find the headlines a little bit clickbaity in the sense that Kim Kardashian and Ellen DeGeneres among celebrities with most fake Instagram followers. Although it is technically true, I would say most of us define fake as bought these days. And that's what I immediately thought when we came across that headline. Do you want the top 10 celebrities? I mean, you were going to give them to me anyway. All right. Give Ellen- it to me. <laughs> Number give it to me. Ew. I'm kidding. Do you remember Stop when we did that? Stop with the sexual innuendo. <laughs> My parents are literally going to start thinking that there's something going on. My mum texted me after the last episode and thanked me for a final line supporting monogamy in last week's episode. <laughs> Anyway. Trisha's already been slammed. Trisha's already <laughs> texted you about this one. All right. The top 10 celebrities with the highest percentage of fake followers. Number one, Ellen DeGeneres, 
49% of her followers on Instagram and Twitter are fake. Number two, BTS. They are a K-pop band. I'm not going to lie. Zara did turn to me before we recorded and said, what's BTS? Mm. That's sad. They're the biggest band in I, the world. I don't Zara doubt Number three, Kourtney Kardashian. Then we have Taylor Swift, Ariana Grande, Miley Cyrus, Katy Perry, Khloe Kardashian, Priyanka Chopra. Yeah, so it's literally just the people with the biggest followings in the world. The list could have been, here are some people with lots of Instagram followers. Yes, absolutely. Number two, have you been paying attention star Sam Pang reveals questions you can't <laughs> ask Lindsay Lohan. That's from news.com.au. I need to talk about this before my head explodes. I love Sam Pang. I'm going to really, really quickly recap this. Lindsay Lohan is in Australia because she is one of the panellists on a new Channel 10 reality program. Do you know about this? I do know about this. It's called The Masked Singer and she's on the panel with Dave Hughes, Danny Minogue and Jackie O. So three much-loved, treasured Australians. However, the whole crux of the show is that famous Aussies get up on stage, perform a song, and it's the judge's ability to pick out which Australian celebrity they are that determines who wins in the end. How the fuck is Lindsay Lohan going to be able to have any knowledge base of Australian celebrities? Well, she's going to be told who they are. But that's so stupid. Like the whole, the you, whole show you think this is, is going to be authentic and all of the judges are going to have no idea who's sitting backstage in makeup. It's just fucking dumb. You reckon that they, they're just being hidden from each no, other. No, I know that. But do they really think the viewers are that stupid that we don't see what's happening? In what world is Lindsay Lohan going to know what, I don't know, some recycled voice contestant from 2016 is? People don't have time to put two and two together. Oh, it's annoying. Anyway. What are the questions? <laughs> so she was supposed to go on Have You Been paying attention with Sam Pang and obviously all the comedians who go on that show. Great show. Very underrated in my opinion. Yours too? Very. One of my favourites. Love Have You Been Paying Attention. She pulled out last minute, which is very uncharacteristic of our old mate Lindsay Lohan. She's not known for being that unreliable. She really upset Sam Pang when she did this, of course, and he went on his radio show to reveal the full list of things that her mind has said they were not able to ask Lindsay while on the show. Did you read this? No. This list is pretty crazy. It's almost like she wasn't allowed to talk about anything other than The Masked Singer, a.k.a. Australia's worst reality program yet to launch. You were not allowed to ask Lindsay Lohan about her MTV Beach Club reality show. You were not allowed to ask her about her on-and-off friendship with Paris Hilton. You're not allowed to ask her about her family, about drugs and alcohol, about her love life, or about her numerous arrests over the years. That is just about everything. What What, what are you supposed to ask her? The Parent Trap. Oh, that's so boring. How long ago was that? Lindsay Lohan, I'm sorry, worst celebrity. Lowest on my list. I wouldn't cancel her because we're all about recycling in 2019. We so are. I'm actually intrigued to see how she goes on this show. Apparently she's been a nightmare already. Open heart, open mind. And also Danny Minogue and Jackie O. I heard them on an interview on the Kyle and Jackie O show. Oh, I've started what? this story and now I need to keep going because I was clearly listening to Kyle and Jackie O. <laughs> they said she was a real girl's girl and bought everyone on set beer. Sarah, apparently she cracked it because she wasn't allowed to smoke in the boardroom. Yeah, like I, I'm not surprised. But also I don't mind that much. Go Lindsay. If you bring Lindsay to Australia for a show, not what do you expect? Lindsay, we're not about secondhand smoke here at Shameless. We're not about secondhand smoke here at Shameless. That's going in the next merch shop. <laughs> Story three. Gigi Hadid might have an unlikely new boyfriend and he was a contestant on the US Bachelorette. This is also from news.com. Mish, have you been following the drama out of the US about the US Bachelorette? No, but I've seen so many stories about yeah. Gigi Hadid and this other dude. This is a really interesting story. We haven't covered this on the podcast because I didn't watch the US Bachelorette this year, but I got a million messages from my sister about it. In a really quick 
quick top line summary. The Bachelorette was a woman named Hannah Brown, only 24, by the way, pretty young to be Bachelorette, chose a guy named Jed Wyatt, right, who proposed... What a name. What an American name, Jed, Jed Wyatt. Would you be surprised if I told you he was from Nashville and trying to make it as a country singer? Oh, Jed. Oh, you won't be saying, oh, Jed, very soon. Oh, no. So Jed proposed to her when he she picked him in song, <laughs> right, in a song. Oh, he's fame hungry. Two weeks later, it was revealed that he had a girlfriend till the morning he left for the show, told her that he was going on to pursue his singing career, texted her saying, I love you, don't forget that, everything is always going to work out. His ex-girlfriend sent these text messages to the tabloids. So he ghosted Hannah Brown. Hannah turns around at After the Final Rose and says to a guy named Tyler Cameron, who is the runner-up, hey, do you want to go on a date and hang out? They go on a date and hang out, but it turns out he's not seeing Hannah Brown either because he's dating Gigi Hadid. (gasps) I want to watch The Bachelorette US now. I know, so do I. So that is my third story. I think that's the winner today. Poor Hannah Brown. Yeah, also sorry, Hannah Brown, poor Hannah Brown. Oh my God. And I'm sorry, I'm so sus on anyone who proposes after The Bachelor. I was sus on Blake fucking Garvey. Weren't we all? And I was super sus on Sam from Batch in Paradise, who Zara, you've written many an article about over the years. I have written many an article about you. You may or may not have called a misogynist. Are we going to go back to that? Shall we not Google? (laughs) Number four, (laughs) exclusive. The Bachelor contestants in crisis as they become first reality stars to not have Instagram likes, leaving their future careers as social media influencers in tatters. That is from the Daily Mail. I have to say, for all we rag on the Daily Mail, that is some magic in that headline. I especially love the capitalised exclusive. How is this an exclusive story? I actually don't think the Daily Mail understand what constitutes an exclusive story. (laughs) The best part about this story is their lead where they refer to the Bachelor contestants as victims of Instagram's change. And number five, Miley Cyrus and Liam Hemsworth split after less than a year of marriage. This is what's best. That is from People magazine, Michelle. This is not what's best. I was actually genuinely upset when I heard about this. (laughs) Is that hyperbole though? Were you genuinely upset or were you just a bit stunned or surprised a bit of column a a bit of column b (laughs) but i don't think there are many celebrity couples that could affect me like this I don't know if I was affected per se, but I was certainly pretty surprised. And I don't know why I was pretty surprised because there's like nothing is a sure thing when it comes to couples in Hollywood. Absolutely. But I did care. Like I did find myself caring and I think a lot of people did. I think it's because we've all gone on the ride with them. This has been 10 years of a total roller coaster of ups and downs. And when they finally got married last December, we all thought, that's it. No more downs. But eight months later, here we are. That's the thing. Eight months is not a particularly long time to be married. And I feel like a lot has happened in that eight months with regards to what they've spoken about publicly. I know Miley has come out and said she didn't want kids. She's done a couple of other interviews about how she is pansexual and queer and wants to redefine what marriage is. Mm -hmm. Like she's been quite public about her thoughts about marriage and her relationship and I just I don't know if that's a coincidence or I don't know how much to read into that absolutely I think she's also her branding and her personal image has taken another pivot after yeah. the Malibu single came Completely. out again so it's really interesting the many iterations of her personal brand and how she has it's almost like a metamorphosis of who she is again and again she just seems to change with every new year and almost dependent on what the state and status of their relationship is publicly I think Mm -hmm. so let's recap this story for people who might have missed the details of it shall we absolutely so there's actually four big players in this saga and they're Mm. all famous which makes it super interesting it's not just Liam and Miley so obviously Miley is an actress and singer if you guys don't know that Liam Hemsworth is probably one of the biggest Australian acting exports 
that we have, apart from his brother Chris. <laughs> what and about maybe, like Hugh Jackman. I was going to say, what about his other brother Luke? <laughs> <laughs> Poor Luke Hemsworth. Then we have the kind of sort of not really distant Kardashian Brody Jenner. And his ex-wife, Hill star Caitlin Carter. So Brody Jenner and Caitlin Carter, you might remember this Zara from last year. We actually covered it, I think, in the Quick and Dirty. I think Caitlin Jenner attended and she was the only Kardashian link who really went along. So this couple got married last year and they announced their split last week. So again, a very, very short-lived marriage, probably only 13, 14 months. Liam Hemsworth and Miley have obviously been on and off. They announced their separation on Sunday morning Australia time. But the really interesting point here and the way that these two couples overlap is that mere hours after the separation announcement came up, paparazzi shots of Miley making out with Caitlin Carter were published in TMZ as they're both on an Italian getaway together. So there are a couple of details that have sort of stumped me a little bit with this story. The first is not surprising in that obviously Miley and Liam have gone to people to release this statement of their split because TMZ have got the pap photos. What's confusing to me about the pap photos is that Caitlin Carter and Miley Cyrus have been incredibly public on Instagram about their holiday together, which means they know that paparazzi are going to find them. It was mm. almost like they were seeking them out. Paparazzi were going to swoop in on them. It almost feels like Miley was asking for this, like asking for the paps to take the photo to almost force a hand so that a statement could come before the pap photos came. Mm, It was super unusual the way it all unfolded and I think there's going to be a lot to come. I don't know if we'll discuss it much here because there's not enough space to in a quick and dirty segment but already I think the tone of some of the articles we're seeing about Miley Cyrus are pretty grim. And the other thing that makes me think she's been pushing to make this public for a little while is that she has been dropping hints. Think about what she said at Glastonbury just a month ago Mm. when she got on stage and one of the first things she said was I'm fucking sick of men which spurred so many rumours that they then had to shut down. But that all feels very, very deliberate to me. So I don't know. I think Liam Hemsworth will stay particularly quiet on this one like he did when they first split. But the wording of the statement in that they are just taking a quick moment to separate is very interesting. Yeah, ever-evolving, changing as partners and individuals, they have decided this is what's best while they focus on themselves and their careers. Interesting statement. I'm really happy they didn't do the whole, they remain best friends and love each other more than ever. No, I'm sure they don't. But I also like how they're keeping the window open for them to actually get back together if they do have kind of like this new age relationship. Well, I don't want to say it, but knowing Miley and Liam, (laughs) is that all you've got for me today? That is all I've got for you. Thank you so much. I'm going to go cry now into a bag of Doritos. You absolutely won't. (laughs) Like you're not going to do that. Late last week, the New York Times editors pressed publish on a story that has us scratching our heads even days later. The article, titled Getting Married, Get Strong, was penned by writer Ivy Manners and spoke to various personal trainers about how brides-to-be should work out and eat based on their style of wedding gown. The article, which focused only on brides and not at all on grooms, included illustrations of women wearing everything from ball gowns, trumpet dresses and backless styles, complete with circles on their bodies to highlight the problem areas that wearers should be, well, wary of. Zara, what was your take on the story? So I posted this when I first saw it in our Facebook group and I must admit my caption wasn't the most articulate I've ever been because I just posted the link with, so this is fucked. (laughs) 
<laughs> and there was a huge back and forth on that thread, which was really, really interesting to read, I must say. But I think I completely underestimated how many different opinions would be about this. And I kind of assumed everyone would be on the same page. Hence my very unambiguous sort of status that went alongside it. So a bit of background. The story was, as Michelle said, titled Getting Married, Get Strong. Here's how to tailor a fitness routine to target specific muscle groups and look the way you want to look at your wedding. Now, may we remind you this was on the New York Times, not some sort of wedding website, not some sort of, I don't know, fitness website. This was on the New York Times. It wasn't on women's health or women's fitness. Exactly. What was your first impression? Because I thought it was a parody. I thought... I was seeing things because it's the New York Times, as you said. It's not belonging anywhere else. It's not some stupid blog. It is a really reputable, well-recognized publication that is widely respected. And I think the messaging in this from the writing to the illustrations to the headline is kind of just gaslighting women. And I think it says a lot about how insidious diet messaging is. So insidious that half of our listeners, I think, didn't really see what we were talking about when you said it's fucked. I think the war on women's bodies is everywhere and it is so prevalent that we can't even pick it out anymore. Because there's so much spin around it. Yeah. I think it's all spin doctoring, right? It is the spin. I think it's the spin that's confusing all of us and making it really hard to see what is fucked and what's really bad for us. Before we say anything else, can you talk me through your opinion on usage of the word strong in the headline? Because I had a real bone to pick with the New York Times running this as a messaging of how to build your strength before your wedding. Because everything else in that piece communicated skinny, not strong. Everything communicated skinny, not strong. I had a real bone to pick as well because I think when it says get strong, this is not actually about feeling your best. It's about looking your best. I think the way that they sold it and a lot of commentary on our thread was about, well, if you're strong, you're feeling good. Like you're feeling like you can carry the weight of the world. If this was an article about feeling your best, this would be far more than a story that fixated on bodies. It would be about your mind, about cultivating a healthy relationship. I think the use of strong when they meant skinny, when they did spin diet culture to pretend that it's empowering, to pretend it's good for you. And I don't buy it. I think it's a complete rebrand. I reckon we should go through and list some of the quotes because I'm sure a lot of you listening to this right now haven't seen this story, might not have a subscription to the New York Times. So let us give you some examples of exactly what we're talking about. Some of the quotes I picked up, Zara, was, these exercises will help shape your hips and reduce the size of your waist as well as tone your arms and abdomen. I will reiterate again, that is not strong. That's talking about being fucking skinny, having a thin waist. Another quote was, to look your best in this long body skimming silhouette, focus on exercises that tone your core, hips and legs. And another one spoke about how this is your opportunity to show off svelte legs. None of that messaging has to do with being strong. All of that messaging has to do with reducing your size. My favorite quote, and when I say my favorite quote, I mean my not, Least favorite. My not favorite quote <laughs> was this one. Swimming is also a great high-intensity workout, but should be done in moderation so that your back does not get too wide. Oh, my God. That's not about being strong because if we're talking about a strong back, to be honest, we're talking about a back with a pretty big surface area. A swimmer's back. Exactly. I think when it comes to strong being the new skinny, we keep coming back to this idea that it is the new diet culture. I mean, for sure, being told we should be strong is maybe healthier than encouraging women to starve themselves. But I reject the idea that it's wholly good for us. It's still a body idea. It's still a way we're not good enough. It's still just a focus on the physical. Totally. And don't get me wrong. I love going to the gym. I love doing weight exercises at the 
gym. I love feeling strong. This is not a critique of women who want to be strong. This is a critique of a system that's selling us weight loss under a guise of strength. And they're still selling us exactly what is damaging and harmful and toxic to women. And I refuse to accept that articles like this are not gendered because none of this article spoke about groomsmen. It was all about brides. Every single illustration in this piece showed a woman of different skin colors. I'll give them that for diversity, but all looking at about a size six or a size eight. So again, it's telling women that you are not attractive and you are not worthy on your wedding day until you're of a tiny size. I think why I get a bit pissed off too is because the spin has been so, dare I say, strong or so uh, pervasive. It's hard for us to have these conversations without people feeling like they're being personally attacked for wanting to be strong. Like you said, like people absolutely will probably be listening to this saying, I love going to the gym. I love working out. Which we do too. Absolutely. And that is a completely separate argument to how mainstream media publications push this narrative onto women, particularly brides. I actually also wanted to raise with you, Michelle, this idea that I think has hijacked the body positivity movement, which is this idea of look good, feel good. I I look good or I feel good, so therefore it's got nothing to do with diet culture. Mm. I feel like this is a way for media to justify selling us unhelpful content Mm. like I really do think we need to completely redefine what it means to feel our best because I think when we're talking about feeling our best we're actually just mean looking good sometimes I wonder if we're tying these things together almost as I don't know as kind of an exercise in reverse psychology so we don't have to admit to ourselves that we are actually and probably bowing into diet culture I this can't be bad for me because I feel so good about it it almost feels like this is such a weird analogy to go back to the dog analogy it feels like we're feeding ourselves the exact same medicine but wrapping it in food or something yeah so we're trying to trick ourselves that we're actually doing something far better and it's way more appetizing and tasty but really the crux of it's the same we're feeding ourselves the same toxic messaging again and again and again And this is where the cognitive dissonance comes in. My sister Claire is getting married next year, as I've said on the podcast before. She's getting married in September. And one of the first questions my sister Evelyn and I asked her was, are you going to change your exercise routine in the lead up to the wedding? Which is such a gendered question because I never would think that about her partner, Steve. And yet clearly this messaging has infiltrated my mind to a point where that was the ultimate question, the most pressing question when I found out she was getting married. Are you going to be going on a diet? Are you going to be changing your routine? Are you going to be losing weight? Was the message I was asking her. And on top of that, since Claire announced that she's pregnant and that she'll be giving birth in February, I can see the question come up in people's heads as soon as she tells them. And a lot of people have asked, oh, so she's going to postpone the wedding, as in having five, six months to bounce back, and I'm putting that in inverted commas, isn't enough. And therefore, she must be pushing the wedding back so she can have the body that she wants on her wedding day. I think it's everywhere. I think that's absolutely what people would think if when Claire tells them that she is pregnant, along with, oh, happy news because babies are cute. (laughs) I think the thing is, and that maybe I should have flagged from the start, I don't mind getting fit for things when I want to. I don't think it's a bad thing to have something in mind that you want to get fit for so long as it's for you. And me too. I think that there is probably every chance that if I ever get proposed to and if I ever get married, I probably will try to get really fit for the wedding because I want to look my best. Mm. So in the same way that we can talk about these things, I absolutely internalize them. And I am not immune from the pressure of that. It's not worth me even being my high horse. It's the first question I've also accidentally asked people. I remember when our friend Sophie got engaged, we were at work when we all worked together. And we asked her almost very quickly, hey, are you changing your 
workout routine before you get married? And I remember she said no. She's quite fit anyway. It wasn't phrased because we figured she needed to lose weight or wanted to lose weight. For me, it was more do you feel the pressure to lose weight or to get really strong? Mm. But I feel like whatever the intention behind the question, the outcome is the same. It's still telling women that it should be on their minds. And it's still adding the pressure. Even if it's a reflection of the pressure, we're still heaping that onto brides. I think we have all swallowed this really primordial idea that we should look a certain way on our wedding day and that certain way is our absolute thinnest ever. I understand and I hear people when they say that the same pressure is applied to men, but I don't think it's in the same amount. I think there is pressure on everyone to look their best. And of course, men are held to this idea where they should be buff and muscular. I reject the idea that it is the same amount because I feel like women are drowning under the volume of pressure that we exist under every single day. And I think this New York Times article was gendered. I think it's the definition of gendered. The whole idea that we're supposed to love the skin we're in until the day we get married when we're supposed to be the thinnest we've ever been is just at complete odds with each other it doesn't make any sense to me and I think there is such a cultural and social expectation that our wedding day should be synonymous with being the day where we are the thinnest that we are in our adult life yeah and I think there are many of the comments that came under that thread on in our Facebook group shameless podcast community were came under two ideas right the first was that some people just want to look good on their wedding day and it has nothing to do with their partner and the second was a thread that, of people that just said I find this very useful I find it useful to know how to get fit for my wedding day and I had a couple of thoughts on that because I think just because you find something personally helpful doesn't mean it's not doing far-reaching damage I think it's all in the implications and I see it in a way that you can absolutely decide that you want to get fit for your wedding. There is no harm in that. I will probably do the same. Same here. And I think, yeah, it makes us hypocrites, but it also just makes us human and players in the patriarchy too. And it's it's so much more complicated than that. The issue is the media's role in pushing and perpetuating an idea that women must be focusing on this stuff. I think the inference here is that it should be on all women's minds, which is fundamentally not the case. And I also think it's worth asking ourselves whether so many of us would actually shred for the wedding if guides like this didn't exist. For me, it's like the chicken or the egg setup. Do I want to shred and therefore guides like this are helpful or do guides like this exist everywhere and therefore I am more inclined to shred? I think it's very important for us to examine the invisible forces at play that shape our decisions and our perceptions of the world without us even realizing because I would argue nine times out of ten the answer is the latter. These guides exist and therefore we feel pressure to shred without even realizing. And let's also examine and re-examine the idea that looking our best is synonymous with looking toned and looking fit because I I think we also need to push back on that and reject that there is nothing wrong with looking soft and being soft we've just been sold I mean if you look back 50 years ago looking soft was the ideal just because now looking toned is the ideal doesn't mean it actually is what you need to strive for and I think even the language we're using that looking your best means looking thin is toxic and damaging again one thing that I don't think has been raised yet on that thread yet at the time we're recording is that doesn't this article also just reinforce the idea that you have to have a certain body to dress a certain way. Yes, that's what I mean. When they're saying it's all about your mind and feeling strong, the entire thing is about illustrating the different types of dresses and putting circles around the problematic areas of women's bodies like do you really need to have a thin waist to wear a ball gown I reject that wear whatever the fuck you like I think that's exactly wear whatever the fuck you like the other comments that also piqued my interest on the thread also touched on the idea and I did find this interesting that the pendulum had swung too far and that we can't even discuss wanting to tone our arms or anything anymore that we should be able to say hey I want a toned arm I think for me this the difference here 
is the difference between public versus private conversations. And I don't know if this is me oversimplifying it, but I think we can have those conversations because like we said, none of us are immune for the patriarchy. We're not either. The danger is when they happen on a public level. I don't know, like I said, if that's too simplistic, but I think we are in too deep for all of us to see these invisible forces at play, click our fingers and say, oh my God, of course I love my body now. Like we are in too deep for that. But I think we can have conversations at a private level saying to you, hey, I've worked really hard on my body. I'm pretty happy with how it looks. There is a difference between that and putting it in the New York Times and that having far-reaching implications for a worldwide conversation. I actually think it's about scale to me too. The biggest mistake to me here is having every depiction of a woman looking good in a wedding dress being a woman a size six or a size eight. I think being fit and being toned can be done at any size and I would not have been as riled up by this article if they'd had different illustrations of women at different sizes because I think you can look beautiful and toned and fit at any size. You do not have to be a size six to do that. And if you go back and look at this article, every woman they have depicted in this article has a tiny waist, tiny legs, tiny arms. And those two things do not marry to me. I think we need to promote this idea that women at any size can exercise for their wedding. Go exercise, go lift weights, go on a treadmill, whatever you want to do. But don't reinforce this idea that you have to be tiny. Take up space. If you want to take up space and if you want to be the size that you are naturally and genetically, be that size. I think people are forgetting that even if you say to yourself you're getting fit for you, not your partner or anyone else, that the decision doesn't exist in a vacuum or that context. And I don't think we just decide to get fit for our weddings because we really desperately want to. Otherwise, it's too much of a fucking fluke that we all want to do it and we're all on the same page. None of us are similar and we all have the same end goal. doesn't mean you're not allowed to. I can't come back to that point and I can't stress that point enough. It does not mean you're not allowed to do any of this stuff. It does mean we need to be self-aware about the motivations at play. This week, Disney announced its plans to reboot Home Alone alongside remakes of Night at the Museum, Cheaper by the Dozen and Diary of a Wimpy Kid. These come straight after the revivals of things like Roseanne, Will and Grace, Fuller House and Gilmore Girls, just to name a few. It seems like we are in the era of the remake and Michelle, all I want to know is why. I think... There are two branches to this that came to my mind. One is the comfort in nostalgia. At the same time, we've seen a push towards 90s television and 90s movies. We've also seen a push towards 90s fashion in the form of scrunchies and double denim and those stupid bucket hats that I could never, ever, ever pull off. And I'm not sure even Tammy Hembrow can. Truthfully, I don't think anybody does. They're so shit and horrible. And the ones covered in fur are even worse. (laughs) I also think there's then the comfort in it being good business. So I think if a fan base is pretty existing it is almost bound to work initially because you have the audience there and the audience's appetite for your content is insatiable I've never found myself excited by a reboot and I do wonder if this is because I'm actually not someone who was drawn to film or television like I've never been that interested in sitting in front of the tv or going to movies but I am interested in why now not then like why it's now that these things keep coming and they haven't come in the years before I think what we talk about in this podcast a lot, right, is how we're more fragmented than ever. We spend so much time on different social media devices and and apps and we don't congregate all in the same place anymore. Mm. And I feel like it's exactly the same when it comes to how we consume TV and video content. Think about all the different places you can get your content. You can go to the movies, you can watch your normal TV. I don't even know what to call it anymore. (laughs) Because I've said this will be good. You're looking like you're struggling already. I was struggling. What is it called? Uh, I don't know, like your digital TV. Oh my God, you don't know either. Your your TV set box. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> you can go and watch your normal TV or you can go to streaming services. And how many streaming services are there? YouTube, we, Twitter, exactly. Facebook we, on top of that. We don't sit on the same place. And I think because of that, we're so fragmented. It's so hard to get all of us in the same place again. And it's so much more competitive to get those really high ratings. Therefore, it's exactly what you said. If you go back and find a show that did have a huge core mass market audience, the chances are if you reproduce it, you're going to get a clip of that again. And think about it as well. Like if you were all executives sitting around a table trying to figure out what next movie or television series you're going to funnel millions of dollars into, that's a pretty big bet. And there are lots of people's jobs on the line when you do that. So of course, you're going to go for something that is safe and easy. I mean, the format and the skeleton of the show is already there the actors are already there the formula is already there and it's been proven to work of course you're going to go for it however I have such a huge annoyance when tv executives do go for it or for example the people at Netflix I think these never seem to do very well we saw it with Roseanne which only lasted nine episodes before being canned again we saw it with the reboot of Fuller House which has also been dubbed unsuccessful and will go down in history as something that seriously fizzled out we saw it with the Will and Grace revival which was nowhere near as successful as originally hoped and will be wrapped after season 11 that dropped 50 percent in rate in ratings after the original reboot season we saw it in Gilmore Girls absolutely destroying the empire that they built for themselves with a terribly damp and shitty revival in 2016 we see it again and again and again and I'm frustrated and annoyed because I feel like it ruins really sacred beautiful programs that we all loved and it makes them shit and cash grabs I don't think it does ruin them. I think the existing beauty of TV of TV series will exist far beyond their shitty remakes. I think all you have to do is look at Sex and the City for that. Like, yes, the <gasps> no, mo- that's ruined. Yes, Sex the, and the movies ruined. were a joke, but that TV series I think will exist away from those movies, and people will separate them. No. I do wonder though if that's exactly the point. TV executives aren't stupid. Maybe the point is to build up hype and for it to crash. Like maybe that's exactly the point. They know that it's not a long lasting thing. They know it's a very short term plan. But in the process, what they're doing is driving mass market audiences to one platform Mm, fair enough I do I do take umbrage with your comments about Sex and the City (laughs) she's so distracted because every time I watch Sex and the City now the TV show which by the by was one of my favorite series ever all I can think about was the very very racist second film where Carrie Bradshaw basically insulted every Muslim person on the planet earth I mean, maybe maybe there are people like you out there, but I think when it comes to shows like Gilmore Girls and stuff like that, I do think the existing TV series can stand alone. I think there's also something to be said about comfort TV and coming back mm. to that idea of comfort. I know Carrie Sackville wrote a really good piece about this in the Sydney Morning Herald, and she actually came to our Facebook group before she wrote it to ask people what their comfort TV shows were. Mm. And they were the same recurring shows. They were those shows from when we were younger. And I really liked her lead in this story. I think it said a lot about why reboots coming back. She said, when my kids were little, I gave them security blankets to cuddle. I watched them immediately settle when their faces touched the fabric and I understood exactly how they felt. After all, I have had my own security blankets since I was a child. They are virtual blankets, mind you, but I still use them regularly when I am stressed or anxious or can't sleep or I need a little lift. They are my favorite, deeply familiar movies and TV shows, and they are as soothing and reassuring to me as any tangible comforter. That's beautiful. There has to be something in that, not just the fact that we always go back to old shows but why TV executives are seeing such value in that, like monetary value and re- remaking them. Like Gossip Girl, again, we spoke about that a few weeks ago. What is your comfort TV show and would you be happy to see it rebooted or revived? Friends and absolutely. Really? Yeah. No, I would absolutely hate it. I think it really destroys the sanctity of those programs. I love it when 
creatives can see that something's good and let it be good and not carry it on until it dies. I think there is such beauty in cutting something off when it's still strong. Like Seinfeld, for example, I think it is a tragedy. And I know this sounds very over the top and hyperbolic drink for the third time this episode, but it is a bit of a tragedy when something really powerful and amazing and influential dies a slow death because nobody was willing to let it go when it should have been let go. I actually, it's interesting to me that I don't agree with that as much. I mean, you look at the British office, right? That stopped after one season or so because it was so, so popular and I guess they just wanted to protect what existed. And then the US took the series and it was wildly, wildly popular with more than one or two seasons. I think you have power to turn off if you don't like it. And I think it's all about your perspective. If you want to look back on the series and say, well, that was good while it was a thing or that was good up until that point, you absolutely can. I mean, why not make more money off a popular product if you can? Because of the art. I feel like you're looking at the world like Pollyanna. And it's usually me that does that. No, seriously, Offspring Offspring was destroyed for me, one of my favourite Australian dramas, and they took it on for too, too many seasons. And I will never forgive the creators of that show for doing that. Another quote that I really liked was from a guy called Preston Beckman who worked as a network scheduler for both NBC and Fox. And he told the website Cheat Sheet, historically, when we're living in difficult times, it's always comforting to go back to programs that made us feel happy, felt comfortable, made us feel secure. Many of the shows that are being rebooted are shows that take them back to better times. We very much have rose-coloured glasses with regards to how like how much more simple times were when they probably weren't. Yeah. And I think there is also something to be said about the shows that we watched in times we thought were more simple than they are. And that's why they're all being rebooted. I feel like for all we say, oh, we're in difficult times. Like we're not in particularly difficult times. Like we're always in difficult times. There's no war going on at the moment. Like we've had world wars in difficult times. Yes, we have climate change and kind of like fucked politics going on. But things like that always happen. Isn't that just the way of the world? No, totally. I Look, I am really interested in how much we disagree on this one because I think for me it's the writing behind a show and I've always been really invested in storylines and I think when a storyline is wrapped, that's where it should be wrapped and I think it's almost always a mistake to go on after the fact and tack on more story to what you already finished. For example, Big Little Lies being carried on for a second season, in my opinion, was a grave mistake because it was only one book and I always think it's a mistake to go back after the fact and pretend that the story continues when you already finished it anyway i think that might be all we have time for today is it michelle yeah good disagreement to finish us off it wasn't particularly fiery we could have got way more fiery about that i mean i don't think the stakes are very high <laughs> pretty tame disagreement yeah. as far as they go we didn't have to pause recording which we have done fun fact for those listening only once before we had to pause a recording because we got so too angry at each other it was that very, was about a year ago yeah we haven't done anything since then you always say to people oh yeah we've paused recordings before and it's like we've literally paused one in a whole life bring it back maybe next week i'll come I'm in all guns blazing, my friend. Let's come in with a segment particularly juicy that we know we disagree on. I'll be particularly cantankerous for it. Cantankerous. Cantankerous? I mean, it was just your pronunciation that was cute. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you come to me about pronunciation. I didn't open the the episode strongly. Hey. (laughs) Rebot. (laughs) Rebot. Reboot. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you so much, as always, for your ongoing support, not just for Shameless Podcast, but for our other productions, She's on the Money and Love Etc. We very much appreciate all of your support and kind messages all the time and feedback. You make being independent podcasters the best job in the world, so thank you for that. You guys can find us until we come back on Thursday with our In Conversation episode. Find us on Instagram at Shameless Podcast or on Facebook, Shameless Podcast Community. Thanks so much, guys. We will be in your ears on Thursday. Bye. Say bye. Goodbye.
Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.